How can we make the world better? By making ourselves better. The Dr. Joe Show explores how you can make positive personal change by using his groundbreaking and highly effective I Am approach to understand who we are and why we do what we do. Your small changes can have big effects. Join us now for the Dr. Joe Show with Mark Stiles of Stiles Law, Thomas McCoy, and your host, Dr. Joe Schrand. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, NBs and everyone, welcome to the Dr. Joe Show. Yeah! Nicely done, Tom. Could you please introduce our guest tonight? Tom. Absolutely, Dr. Joe. Tonight we have Maura Congdon, Finley Congdon, Patricia Wanty, and Max Wanty. Maura is the organizer of Transparents of the South Shore, a support group specifically for parents and caregivers of transgender and non-binary young people. The group's mission is to provide a compassionate community for these caregivers to navigate their journey with the help of others who are at different stages in their children's transitions. Finley Congdon is a 24-year-old transgender man who provides mentorship for the Transparent Support Group, supplying life experience and resources from his personal transition journey. He's also a board member of a local LGBTQ plus nonprofit, the Hingham Pride Project. He has previously worked as the coach of a transgender inclusive college rugby team and is following his passion for civil rights into a career in advocacy and community support for the LGBTQ plus community. Patricia Wanty is a co-organizer of Transparents of the South Shore. By day, she can be found at the front desk of Foster Elementary School, where she has been an administrative assistant for seven years. And is outside of school hours, she enjoys spending time with her family and friends, is an avid reader as a member of two different book clubs for over 20 years each, and an ardent supporter of underdogs everywhere. Last but not least, Max Wanty is a 19-year-old transgender musician and performer. He is currently teaching guitar lessons for students of all ages around the South Shore and heading the punk band project No Sleep. His next gig will be at the Drag Bingo Fundraiser in support of the Massachusetts Transgender Political Coalition. He can also be seen in the June production of Heather's the Musical through Spotlight Academy in Situate. Welcome, welcome. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Tom, that was very well done. Thank you. I am so glad you guys are here. I, I just want to start with the wonderful name Transparence. Because, you know, I love puns. Uh, we'll get there. But it's just such a wonderful, wonderful name, Transparence. Parents, can you start just talking about that name and how that reflects part of what you're going through, what you're experiencing, what you're living. Patricia is going to take that one Ah. because she was actually the one that came up with the name. So I think that she should explain. I think it's fabulous. You actually came to me after you thought of it and you said, I have the name for our group. (laughs) (laughs) It's great. Let's hear about it, Patricia. Well, it probably started because I'm always going to Max with excellent band names for him, and he just won't listen to me. So I had to apply it to my own life, and I had the perfect opportunity. And when we were sort of kicking around names, you know, there's so many, so many wonderful groups out there, but they have a lot of letters and a lot of hard to remember acronyms and so on. And I think um, I too love puns, um, and it just, it was just laying there for it. I mean, it's just so obvious in hindsight, transparency. I mean, we are open, we're not hiding anything. We are supportive. We are out there in our community. And um, it just fit. It made perfect sense. So we, we um, capitalized the P, added an S and, and the rest is history. That's great. Well, a pat on the back for Thank you. you. Thank you. 
Patricia, you get that one? Sorry, a pat on the back. Okay, um, we'll <laughs> go back this. to that one later. <laughs> yeah, I does I does this. Uh, so it, it's it's fantastic. So where do we start on on the journey? Who who wants to to talk about where things began? Finley, oh, we'll start with you. Absolutely, sure. Um, I think for the group where things really began is that uh, there weren't a lot of trans people in our area that people knew about. And my mom is like the mayor of everywhere we've ever been. <laughs> and when I came out, uh, I was about 18 years old. And after a while, people just kind of heard that, that she had a trans son and people from our community would reach out. We had, you know, 10, 20, maybe 30 people, you know, send her Facebook messages, talk to their friends, ask if they could connect them with us. I I got into the practice of taking out uh, younger kind of gender questioning kids for ice cream and just to have, have a friendly talk with them, show them, listen to how they were feeling and seeing what they needed. And we realized because of that, that there was so much need for a place where people could talk to each other without the stress that they were going to be really judged. Um, and also where they could get information because when I was going through my, my kind of early transition process, I felt that there was, I, I didn't know where to turn. I had very few resources that I could find and I wasn't sure what my options were. And just being able to bring some of that information together where people can access it felt like it was uh, gonna be really life-changing for some people to dispel the fear of the unknown. Mm. And yeah. also realizing you know, when we were getting these kind of one-on-one -on -one communications, which again, it was it was amazing um, that the amount of outreach that we got, the number of families that had reached out individually. And once you hit a certain point of having these one-on-one -on -one interactions, you realize how much richer the conversation can be when you make it a community. And that's when we just decided, a group of us parents decided to put together the support group, um, just because there were so many people in need who had um, you know, young people, children that were at very different stages of their transition. And so folks that were further along in the journey or whose, whose children had transitioned uh, earlier could provide that type of counsel just in terms of you know, physicians, therapists, summer camps, um, name change, you know, how to go about that. Um, and then it, just having a place where others were holding space for you and would listen, was listening in a very, mm -hmm. in a very private um, environment and confidential environment where they could feel safe. Yeah, there's something about still having to have this privacy in order to feel safe that is, for me, still heartbreaking, but We'll get to that part. Max, what about you? How this all relate to you? <laughs> um, I mean, so I came out as trans uh, it, at the end of middle school, and I was the first person in my whole grade and in really my whole school that really came out as anything. Um, and sort of slowly after that, a lot of other people started to also come out, uh, but I was really the first um, in my grade. And so there was a lot of uh, like learning curves sort of between me and in my friend groups and 
my friend's parents and my friend's friends of trying to figure out how to navigate like, oh, we're 12 and don't really know what gender is and you've sort of done this whole new thing. Uh, and I know like like my mom didn't like really know what was going on. I think, <laughs> <for a while. laughs> like you were just kind of like, okay, I'll try my best, you know, and we, there, there wasn't a lot of there, there really wasn't any like support to be like, oh yeah, this is like how you do this. I was really sort of the first in my part of the community to do anything like that. And so like when this group was created uh, and my mom helped co-found it, it was a big thing uh, for like not letting other parents and other families go through the same thing that we did with like, there was a lot of uncertainty and there were a lot of times where we weren't really sure what to do. And there was a lot of, not really knowing where your community was and not having any community at all and it was trying to sort of fix that problem and it did a really good job of it <laughs> and how did your families find each other more i Patricia, think we had a something? mutual friend we had a mutual friend who who introduced us said you and you you guys have to meet and um and and we did and that was it <laughs> We took off from the second we started. That's how mainly we've all gotten together uh, up to this point. I'd say is it's a lot of word of mouth, and and you know we we put out um, information on social media on our Instagram account saying you know if you are a family that you know has a transgender or non-binary child um, and would like to join our community, we are completely open. Um, and, and I have to add, we're, you know, we're, we're confidential as much as people would like to be only because with certain um, families, their kids aren't out. Um, mm. But then there are other families who, you know, can be uh, much more open about it um, in terms of talking to other families. They act in more of a mentoring role um, in terms of reaching out. But I'd say that we get most of the families that come to us are through word of mouth, through friends, such as you know, with Patricia and I, where we were connected. Sometimes it's through um, uh, pediatricians, therapists, of course, with the express consent of the families involved. Um, but um, I also have to put in a big thank you to the Hingham Pride Project because they were a huge part of this group coming together they put, a, put together a project um, in 2020 where they had Carrie Raley from Irish Eyes, who's an, a really brilliant photographer, take pictures of, um, you know, photos, portraits of LGBTQ plus families in the area. And that was what was posted to social media. And that's kind of where the conversation kind of began on social media and where people were able to make that connection to the fact that, oh, there are other families out there. And now we have 40 plus families that are, are part um, just in this very small geographic area. But it is a lot of, you know, oh, I have a friend, you know, geez, let me put you in touch with, you know, would it be okay if I shared your information? And um, absolutely, you know, it's, it's, we're open, we're welcoming. We want as many families as, as would like to join us. Yeah, I would, I would add, if, if I can, that, um, you know, while we absolutely welcome um, our children, some of them are much younger, some of them are young adults, um, to the group, I'd say the primary focus is as, as a, uh, for parents and caregivers, um, because, you know, we as the parents and caregivers 
on this journey focus so much attention on how to help our children um you know you end up in that boat where how, at some point you need to help yourself as well because it's a journey as much for the families and parents as it is for um the children themselves um and this is when when you talk to people who are new to the group and new to the journey you just immediately remember your first few days and your first few weeks and your first few months because it's terrifying and scary and overwhelming and you're trying to just be there for your kid and you don't know how to do that and um i just welcome everybody who can hear this to reach out to us because there is a place where you can get some support and some help for yourself and your children children so so patricia what has been a, a challenge for parents in this you want to start the conversation um sure we um i think back to when max first told us and um you know our first support was well okay and we love you but now what do we do and then once you sit with that for a little while you start questioning everything are you sure are you are you sure is this a we don't know you know and then as we learn more about things um it, it shifts from an are you sure conversation, and that's a very short-lived conversation, but it's a necessary one that everybody has to share and go through to understand it, I think. It's not, it's not doubting, it's just understanding. Um, and then very quickly, you're on to, well, what can we do to support you? And, and I, I didn't know. I, I had no idea. So, you know, I start going to master google and you have to be very careful with that um and there are there are i'm happy to say a number of um lgbtq support groups out there but this is a very different very specialized focus it's sort of a whole nother level um that comes with its own unique challenges and um um ideas that you have to understand. Um, and we were missing that somewhere in our community. So, you know, we've all sort of put it together on our own. We reached out to therapists, we reached out to doctors, we reached out to friends. Um, a lot of us reached out. We are so lucky to be in the greater Boston area because we have some amazing, amazing support um, groups who you can count on to know what they're doing, Boston Children's Hospital, Mass General, um, Boston Medical Center, the Fenway Health Center. Those are amazing resources and a great place to get started. Um, but when you bring it back to the more personal level, this kind of parental support group um, is also sorely needed. And, it, and we help each other find the ways, you know, who's looking for, you know, voice transitions, who's looking for, um, you know, maybe um, surgeries, who's simply looking for um, what are some change? name change, how to do a name testosterone. change, testosterone, um, a whole, a whole, the whole slew. And, and um, those are unique challenges to this particular group. Finley, for you, how, how did you tell your family? Was that difficult? Max, I'm going to come back and ask you the same question. Was it difficult? That's, you know, I think that's a funny question for me because before I had come out to my my mother as trans, I had about 
two and a half, three years before I had come out as, as a lesbian. And I've been living, living as a lesbian. And I thought that that I, I had been told as a kid, I was like that, that everything that I felt that that made me a tomboy. And I was like, okay, I guess that's what this is. And I was very proud to be a part of the LGBTQ plus community. I was very happy to have found community in that way. But after a while, I realized that that really wasn't, um, it wasn't the, the answer to the problems that I was having. And I was struggling a lot emotionally um, during that time in school. I had a lot of mental health problems that I had to deal with because of everything that I was going through. And when I came to the conclusion that I was trans, um, I realized that I didn't want to do that experience with my parents the same way that I had when I had come out as gay. Because I had, ag I had known for a very long time at that point, and I had agonized over it and held so much fear. I, I put it off for years and years, and I didn't want to make them a part of that because even though they're incredibly supportive people, there's, you always feel that there's that small chance that that maybe they'll reject you and you can't. And that just is more than a lot of people are, are willing to risk for, for good reason. Um, and for me, when I finally, when I came to the conclusion that I was trans, I was like, okay, I am going to tell them now. I'm going to tell them immediately because I don't want to build it up over all this time for myself. Uh, like I did the first time. I want them to be a part of this with me. Um, I'm sure my mom always remembers that day. I had her pick me up from school and I told her in a Starbucks parking lot in the car, uh, which is burned into my brain. And I told her that I had picked out a name and that's what I wanted to be called. And I had tested it out with my friends to make sure it was the perfect name for me. And she was like, okay, that's great. I love that name. So in many ways, coming out as trans was a lot less difficult for me than some of the kind of emotional conversations we had had running up to that, because at this point, I had a very certain idea of the wrong way to go about that for me personally. And I wanted to, I wanted to do it differently. I wanted them in on the ground floor to help me figure out what my new life was going to be like. It's a powerful story. Mara, what was that like for you in, in the parking lot of Starbucks? Um, I have to say it was it was actually a bit of a relief. Um, at, when Finley came out to me as being a lesbian, it was, you know, no big deal. Um, many of my friends are lesbians, it's, as he knows, um, and good friends of, of him as well. Um, so not shocking, not surprised at all. Um, but after, after he had come out as a le as lesbian, um, he did go through a really, really difficult time, as, as he was just saying, just um, you know, a lot of depression and anxiety, um, just you know, had to take medical leave from school. Um, and it was so difficult as a parent during that time because I was very feel fearful for his well-being. Um, and to an extent as a parent, you have some control over these things. I felt very, very out of control, um, in terms of being able to help him. We tried everything, um, that we, you know, had at our disposal in terms of mental health care, um, trying to find doctors, uh, you know, that could help him psychologically, you know, from a psychiatry's perspective, everything else. And, um, so to be quite honest, when he came out as 
transgender to me in that Starbucks parking lot, I was a little bit like hallelujah because um, I knew that he had a very, very good connection with an incredibly, incredibly life-saving counselor um, at school. Um, he went to Milton Academy. And I would say that she was truly a lifesaver in that case. She was able to talk to him very, uh, you know, from a, a very well-informed perspective, but, but also from a very compassionate perspective about the differences between being gay and being transgender. She sexual. was very compassionate because at the time when I told her, I, I said she was a married lesbian woman. And I said, I kind of thought that other lesbians feel like this. And she was like, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> that's not how lesbians feel. I was like, well, that, thank you for clearing that up. So, mm. so he was very lucky. We, we were lucky as a family that we had that person to, to really, and, and she also was very helpful in talking with him about having that discussion with, with his family. So it was relief. It was honestly relief. I was I said to myself, thank God. It wasn't surprising to us. Uh, maybe it was easier for our family because it wasn't shocking. Hmm. And and was the the depression, the anxiety related to to not feeling right as a lesbian and I think I was trying to figure out for a while why I didn't feel right. And when we look back, we always joke about how obvious it, it was to us when I was I was in fourth grade telling her that I wanted a curly mustache and ice tips like the guys in No FX. Uh, there's so many things we can point back to be like, this was this was very clear at the time. But because there weren't a lot of transgender people in the media, there weren't transgender people in my daily life, until I really met a transgender person, a transgender man at the end of high school, I had no conception that that was something that existed. I didn't know that that was mm. someone you could be, and I just thought I was a very sad, very masculine woman, and that was the best that I could kind of hope for, and I was trying to work within those parameters and no matter what I did, it it wasn't making me, it wasn't making me happy. I was really struggling just to try and play that role on a basic level at, at any point in my life. I have a panic attack when you put me in a dress. I, I really couldn't handle it. I wasn't mm. sure why. Yeah, I, I, I can't help myself, but having it, the the reveal in Starbucks, you know, better latte than never. Uh, sorry, sorry, a good one. I, I couldn't couldn't Solid resist. Seven. Max, thank you, thank you. Max, how about how about you? What was this like for you? Yeah, I mean, I I feel I should preface this with I am also autistic, and those two things, me being transgender and me being autistic, are very interconnected in my in my personal experience. And they have a lot to do with one another. And so I just feel the need to mention that right off the bat, because anything I say that has to do with my personal experience is very connected to the fact that I am autistic. And that had a lot of influence on how I dealt with and lived my life through these times. Um, but honestly, like I, beca and because of that, I always 
felt like very I almost sort of like always lived in my head when I was a kid like I never very I never felt connected to the world around me I didn't feel connected to my body I was always very closed off and I, I didn't have like too many friends I mostly stayed to myself um and as I started getting older and that started getting like a little more weird when you get into like middle school and out of like elementary school and stuff and you're sort of like oh wait this like actually isn't normal uh and I started thinking a little bit more about myself like it it just honestly it always made sense to me because I always I grew up knowing what gay people were what trans people were and what that meant but I never applied it to myself I was just like yeah that's cool I watched an episode of Glee when I was like four years old saw boys kissing for the first time and was like that's so cool I want to do that when I grow up it was never a surprise to my family um but um I remember I finally realized and sort of like fully accepted that I was trans um probably in eighth grade and I lived that whole school year I'd lived that whole year um I didn't come out to my parents until the end of the year but I lived that whole year out as as my new trans self at school and I told all my friends and I told like some of my teachers um and we all sort of tried to make that work for me being out kind of like half out to some people and not to others and it sort of it like half worked all of my friends told their parents and did not tell me that they told their parents and I was terrified <laughs> I was like oh god um but then I finally the the reason I didn't come out to my parents for so long wasn't even so much because I was so worried because I I grew up with you guys always just preaching about kindness and and being kind to everyone and so I knew they would accept me but I was just always so closed off and kept to myself as a kid that I was like, I don't, I don't want to talk to my parents about this. That means I'm going to have to be open. That means I'm going to have to be emotional. I don't want to do that. Um, and so I just kept it to myself for so long. And finally, the thing that finally made me want to do it and finally be like, I, I can't do this anymore. I have to tell everyone was on the last day of school, eighth grade. It was my last day of middle school. We were going out that night with some extended family in Boston for dinner. And I thought to myself, I was just like, I cannot introduce myself to these people as someone who I am not anymore. So, but to do that, that means I have to tell you guys. And so I came home from school that day and I said, and I went up to my room and, and I called my at the time girlfriend and I said, I'm gonna do it. And then I went downstairs and I interrupted a very important conversation with you and Jack. We were sitting right here. I'm sitting right in this spot. And I, and I said, mom, Jack, Jack is my brother. I said, mom, Jack, I'm a guy. And you said, I don't know. I said, I'm not who you think I am was my exact words. And you said, okay. So what now? And I said, okay, well, I'm a guy. And you said, okay, do, do you want us to call you anything? And I was like, shit, yeah, Max. And then I went back upstairs and that was that. And we went to dinner that night. And so I turned, I turned to my, my son, who's um, four years older. And I said, well, what do we do now? And he says, without missing a beat, call him Max. <laughs> and it was, mm. it was just as simple as that. It really was. And things started to work better at that point don't you think from that yeah. point on things just got a lot easier much similar maybe to more and Finley it was almost I didn't realize what he was going through his whole um eighth grade year but I I 
relate to Maura and Finley's story because um, it just, instead of being scary, I mean, it, it had its own scary moments, but it was just like, oh, I get it. Okay, now that we know what we're dealing with, now we can, now we can work on this. Now we've got a direction to move in. Now, now we're freed to move forward. Yeah. So you really, I hate to say, sort of maxed out on that. Okay. So what do you think of this conversation, Tom? I mean, I am I'm an insufferably big picture thinker. So past guests to talk about trans rights were, you know, big figures, Erin Reed, Alana McLaughlin. And I just keep in my head all the ugliness going on. And mm. it's refreshing to have happy families to talk mm. about their experience, their positive experiences and their happy interactions, just to help me remember it's not all doom and gloom. Yeah. I mean, because there's so much going on in the country about this as yeah. well. And not all. And I got to say, nice. I've I've tried to get past guests, Aaron Reed, Alana McLaughlin, uh, prominent trans figures. They are exhausted. Mm. They've been having to drive state to state fighting for their right to exist in state houses, yeah. not getting a second sleep. Mm. So that's part of why we're here tonight. So I think, you know, we were talking offline that Mario was talking about, talking about the good things, but also some of the other things that accomplished and accompany this. Let's talk about the good things first, and then we'll dive into some of the, the more difficult parts. Tell me about the good things. There are supports for people. There, there are supports for people. Um, and, and, and again, the, the, the uh, support in Massachusetts um, is exceptional. Uh, there's a, an organization called the Mass Trans Political Coalition. Um, they're the one that we're doing the fundraising drag bingo for on the 31st. And they, oh my goodness, they support the entire transgender community. Um, through, gosh, everything from they've employed um, uh, ropes and gray um, to help with the name change process pro bono um, for families, which can be a really daunting process. They um, have educational um, areas that come out and will come to your organizations and educate on transgender inclusion. Um, they're actually right now launching a pilot program um, called the Trans Leadership Academy that helps transgender people, especially BIPOC transgender um, individuals with job training. Um, they get them a T-pass, they get them a laptop, they do mentorship, job training, help them find jobs, help um, reduce homelessness, um, recidivism. It, they, they, they do an incredible job of that support. So um, they're a really bright light. And they're, uh, I think the only like state run organization that's really on a national level as, as big and as, pro as prominent as they are. And it's for good reason. They, they really get the job done, work very, very hard. Um, you know, and then there, there's smaller support groups like ours, but then you also have PFLAG. Um, I know the Duxbury PFLAG um, has a, a group for transgender folks as well. Um, you know, Hingham Pride Project. So there, there are a lot of groups out there to support, but I do have to say right now, um, it's overwhelming what's going on in the United States 
in terms of some really dangerous and frightening um, legislation that is going on. And as you mentioned, you know, these bright lights in the um, non-binary community, these transgender leaders are absolutely exhausted. And, you know, one of the reasons that we were really motivated to, to come on the, the show and talk to you, and again, we so appreciate that opportunity, is because transgender leaders are asking for allies to step up. And they mm. make a very good point that being an ally and doing nothing means nothing, that you need to be informed, you need to step up, and you need to be an active advocate. And part of that is understanding what is going on in the United States right now, which I think, you know, I'd, I'd love to have, you know, Finn and, and Max to talk about it, uh, in particular from their standpoint. Um, you know, we can support as much as we can try to support, but at the end of the day, we need a wider base of support to address um, you know, the hate mongering and, and again, the very, very dangerous language and legislation that's being proposed right now. So I, I didn't know if you wanted to maybe touch base on a few of those um, things that are going on right now that are particularly egregious, um, just, just, just to make people aware of it. They may not be. Um, yeah, I, I mean, in general terms that we were speaking about, um, I mean, uh, seven states have already fully banned gender-affirming care for people under the age of 18. Uh, 21 states have introduced uh, some sort of legislation to, to do that. And I, I know a lot of people, I, I've, I've heard interviews, a lot of people have questions. They, they ask, why can't you wait? Um, and I think that people need to know that a lot of, you know, there are a lot of young people that just won't be able to make it that long. It, it's easy to say, why can't you wait? But even, even as a, before I got to the age of 18, which was when I really came to understand why I was going through what I was going through, I, I don't know that I would have been able to make it that long myself without the support that I had from family and from some really fantastic providers, because it can be unbelievably painful and confusing to see yourself in a body that you can't imagine going into adulthood with. Um, so as much as it is, it's great to talk about protecting children and keeping people safe and doing all these things with a lot of information, which uh, I would say from my experience and uh, from the experience of a lot of the young people we work with in the support group, uh, that their doctors are incredibly well-informed. Their providers are incredibly well-informed. They aren't doing this overnight. There are long periods of discussion. There are long periods of learning. Um, uh, there are other sorts of bills that are being, that have been um, passed. Uh, 18 states have banned transgen transgender people from, transgender students from participating on school sports teams. Um, and I think for myself, uh, I played uh, high school hockey, middle school hockey. Uh, hockey was my, my whole life growing up. And that was the one thing for me that made me happy to be in my body. It was the one thing that really made the experience of struggling to exist within my body that I felt that it was doing something positive for me, uh, that I could feel strong, I could be happy with what I physically, what my physical capabilities were. Uh, so I think that excluding young trans people from sports does a lot more harm than even people might might understand that 
I think for a lot of people can be one way that they can connect with their bodies in a positive way, which can be really few and far between for people. And it's, it's the entry point that opens up the whole, it's such a bad faith wedge to try to get people to doubt the validity of trans people in general, because, well, it's an unfair, all of sports, Hassan Piker put this perfectly, all of sports is based on unfair physical advantages. Have you seen Michael Phelps? <laughs> the man's half fish. <laughs> Think of how many people who are over seven feet, like what's the statistics? Like 90% of them are in the NBA. Give me a break. And yeah. Alana McLaughlin, for example, to shout out, people say, well, she transitioned to, to fight in MMA against women. She she loses as much as she wins. And by the way, have you seen the women who do MMA? They're going to be fine. <laughs> and Max, you had a comment on that, um, to that extent, um, about the hormones with these women. Yeah, I mean, hormones change your body. Any advantage that you have when you start taking hormones, you're probably going to lose most of it. And the other thing that I, I've been thinking about with banning trans people from sports is it I feel I've seen a lot of takes from uh, from uh, TERFs and radical feminists being like, oh, well, these men are trying to hurt our girls. And, and that that's a take that I see a lot that is incredibly transphobic and incorrect. But the thing that it leaves out that completely negates that take is that trans men are getting banned from sports, too. So if your whole idea is, oh, well, these these assigned male at birth people have an advantage over assigned female at birth people, what what about the assigned female at birth people who are who are men who are I, who are playing in male sports? Are you isn't saying that isn't that hard mode? Advantage? It completely like negates their take. That's legendary. All skulls on. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, the other thing we wanted to mention, and I think is really important in this conversation, because as you said, a lot of, like it's a lot of people have these little wedge issues that open the discussion for them, and a lot of time it's about children, it's about protecting children. Um, and recently, we've seen a few bills. Um, they've been introduced in in Oklahoma and Texas that would basically make gender affirming care inaccessible to people of all ages, adults, minors, everybody. Um, and I think it's really important to raise awareness about things like that. But one of them has already passed through the state house, been voted on, passed through the house, um, because it's not about children. It's not about children. It's never been about children. Um, it's an easy way for people to disguise the issue. But genuinely, once you've once you've moved through children, they're attacking adults. They're attacking trans people's ability to exist in any space of any age at any point. I don't want my child bride exposed to this. Right, but just using the word protecting implies that there's a danger. Words are so powerful. You know, we have to protect our children from what? From people affirming their identity, from people saying this is who I am without that judgment. There's, um, you know, words are, are, are very powerful in that way. Patricia, your, you know, transparent brilliance. What what do you think the danger is right now? Why why are we so divided uh, about this particular topic? Well, I ask myself that every day. Where does this hate come from? When I'm reading the paper and I'm reading 
watching the news and I'm listening to interviews, I just can't for the life of me understand where this hate comes from. But I think something Finn touched on is that it's just, um, it's, it's just an excuse for a larger issue, you know, um, and it's not just transgender people who are under attack. It's all our vulnerable communities right now are under attack. Um, and I think it's a, um, an attempt to distract from what the real and what the important issues are. Um, you know, where is our country going? Where's our world going in terms of climate change? Where are we going in terms of our democracy? Where are we going in terms of gun violence? And um, and then if you break it down to an even even just more in your house level, um, you know, in states like Texas, if you can distract, and I'm from Texas, born, raised, and college educated, so I've in plenty of family still there, so I feel I can speak to this. If you distract with the hate then they're not so focused on the fact that why isn't our grid working and we're, we don't have heat this winter or why isn't our grid working and we don't have air conditioning this summer? How come um, you know, our poverty rates are going up? How come we can't get healthcare for everybody? So instead of tackling those big issues, it's much easier to stir the pot with hate on all for all of these vulnerable groups. So, um, you know, uh, our BIPOC communities, women, women in this country. I mean, it's the same thing. You know, they're just being, all their rights are being, all our rights are being taken away little bit by little bit. Like Finn said, you know, you start with something small and then it's the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. It's not going to end. Um, and I, I just can't understand where the cruelty comes from because that that is what it is. And I don't know if you're familiar with Heather Cox Richardson. She's a um, historian, um, a great renown. And she um, wrote an article recently about the Conservative Political Action Committee um, um, meeting that they just had, I guess, last week where their host- um, Michael Knowles. Yes, 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 said, quote, for the good of society, transgenderism must be eradicated from public life entirely. What, what is that? Mm. What is that? Right. It's, it's the sort of genocide, obviously. It's genocide. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, not, never going to happen. They won't. And, and um, you know, it, it's when you start to make people unequals, because in our country, we're all built, it's our, our founding principles are equality. When you start to take that away and some people aren't equal to others, then you lose everything. You know, you just are hoping you're not the next one who's not in the unequal block because when they're done with us, they're coming for whoever's next. I guarantee you, it doesn't ever end. What was the, what's the poem yeah. first that came for the people that I don't exactly. like and that everything was fine? Absolutely, exactly, <laughs> exactly. That's exactly right, yeah. Can I add one thing that's really particularly frightening? Is yeah. that okay? Sure, please. Sorry. I just want to make sure that we get this one in because this this one to me is uh, honestly I think the one of the most egregious. Again, the 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 um, you know banning access to to healthcare. You know, transgender. You know, gender affirming healthcare saves lives. Right. Um, talking about protecting people from having their lives saved. I I it completely makes no sense. Um, I, I think probably one of the, the most frightening ones, though, um, is in Florida right now, where 
you know, they have a bill uh, proposed that would not only uh, make it illegal in affirming trans children in a family as child abuse and giving the grounds as a child abuser, as a parent, if you support your child in that journey, to take the child out of your care and put them in the custody of the state. So here you are, first of all, you know, it, you have lawmakers or these legislators who don't understand what transgenderism is all about. And, you know, they are completely going against the, the physicians, therapists, um, you know, everyone that's out there. And this is not only limited to, you know, families that have a, a trans child, the bill actually also applies to any child that is considered at risk of transitioning. And, and so the law claims that just even having another trans child, a sibling or a parent in the house that's trans would put that child at risk and they could be taken away. So here you are doing, you know, they're saying they're protecting these children is taking a child out of a supportive environment that is giving them, you know, uh, the healthcare that they need, the love that they need, the support, the home, the mental care that they need, the emotional Mentally. care, and mm -hmm. putting them in the custody of the state, even if they're not transgender, even if they're at this risk of being transgender, because God knows that transgenderism, wow, they're acting like that it's contagious or something. Um, it's crazy. That's frightening to me. And just the, the idea that there could be that intervention to take your child away from the very, very place I mean, just to bring that back home, Maura, if you, you know, Thomas, you were talking about our happy families, our, our children transitioned before they were 18 or, or thereabouts. If we were in these states, they not only would they be attempting to take our children from us, from, from us, um, we could be facing jail time. Our children, I can't even begin to imagine the horrors our children would face. Um, and we're just so lucky to be in Massachusetts, but I find that being here comes with a responsibility. We can't just sit back and say, well, thank God we're not there. We have to do our part. There's so much more to talk yes. about. And like, I guess it has to be another show of its own, but like drag is so misunderstood. Yes. Um, yes. Um, <laughs> like, well, maybe it, it, it's, it's theater. It's, it's, it's simple art. as that. It's performance. And it's like, well, oh, well, can't it be sexual? And it's like, okay, everything you see on the screen right now turns someone on. That's how human beings work. It's terrifying, welcome, Tom. Welcome terrifying to the club. Thought. I didn't know. I, catch up, maybe. <laughs> yeah, just don't stand up, Tom. Stay, stay right where you are. Okay. You're killing uh, me uh, with uh, that uh, line uh, behind you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, we, I would love to have you guys come back and talk about that particular topic if we wanted to, but what else? I, I'm, I'm, I'm concerned about the dark side that you guys face on a daily basis. And how do you manage that? How do you, how do you, how do you retain your resilience knowing that 
you're valuable. How do you do that? Finn? Um, I think that is something that people kind of ignore in this is that even if you, you don't have to be a trans activist, just being a trans person going through your daily life, seeing all this happening, it takes so much energy, it takes so much out of you just to, to know that that's happening around you and to have that, that level of fear that other people just don't need to have. Uh, I think for me, in some ways, when I came out, I found it very freeing because I knew there was a whole section of people who just would never like me. No matter what I did, they would never like me again because I, I was pursuing the person I wanted to be. And there wasn't anything I could do about that. And, and that I felt like that was a, a big weight off my shoulders. But I think that what helps me so much now is like my, my queer community and of course my like wonderful allies too. But with all of these people coming out of the woodwork to say awful things about people like me, it also brings a lot of people out who you might never have spoken to who just want to show you how much they care about you because they know how hard this can be to hear all these these fear-mongering things about yourself when you're you're just, we're all individuals. We're just trying to live our lives. We're just trying to be happy. This has nothing to do with anybody else. Um, but it has brought out a lot of people who I, I would never have connected with otherwise um, and given me a way to to really like find a loving community that that knows how important it is to show that love and to show that support all the time because we're experiencing the exact opposite the rest of the day. So people are very outward with um, with their support when they have it. Max, is that your experience as well? That, that there's so much anger and and hate towards you? Yeah, I've I I in my personal experience, I've been very lucky that I've had a very supportive environment and that I've had very supportive friends and my family has been very supportive but I have had a lot of people in my life not even necessarily who are hateful but just don't care and that can have a huge negative impact because even just not caring uh not taking the time to just say okay well sure I'll call you by this name can have such a negative impact on people and I've sort of learned how to sort of get past it when I can, you influence who you can influence, and you ignore who you can't. Um, but, like, that can be, like, heartbreaking to some people. There, like, there are people who take their lives because of things like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's, yeah. I think the, the fear-mongering has overplayed its hand. I think it has made a grave mistake and being as vehement as it is uh because there are like there are people who who would consider themselves more socially conservative who would think yeah trans yeah, that's weird i guess but like is you know they're not hurting then they see a swarm of oath keepers and nsc and proud boys bringing rifles to drag shows at libraries at, at libraries li at libraries <laughs> you lost them yeah I, I hope you're right, but I fear you're not right enough. Oh, I know fear. how, I know how, like, I, I know all too well, because the indifference is the biggest danger. Mm -hmm. Like, the, the, back to back to Nazi Germany, it was right. less than a third of the active members of the Nazi party 
were vehemently anti-Semitic. Mm-hmm. It was the material, look, to, to quote uh, a, a certain philosopher, we live in a material world, I'm a material girl. <laughs> when you're wondering how you f- put food on the table, when you're wondering like, hey, why why don't I, why can't I have a house? Why can't, uh, how do you explain it? You're in power. You, do you say, I screwed up, I'm not gonna do anything? Or do you say, it's, it's those guys? Mm-hmm. Which one's easier? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. To, I, I, I pointed and my eyes went wide when I heard, uh, Friendly, when you talk about the, I can't wait till I'm 18. Because that's such a bad, it's such a cowardly way of talking about it. So I have a past in the right-wing online sphere. And Nick Ricada, Nick, how you doing, buddy? He went uh, on a rant about the streamer Keffels, who is a trans woman and mm-hmm. has a Discord server where, you know, she, she gives advice to other trans kids. And he says, you go on the f- wall. But these are true believers. These are true believers. They enjoy the cruelty. And you're never going to change their minds. You're never going to change their minds. You have to work on the ones that you can change. Exactly. Yeah. Yes, I agree with that. And, I, and I'm not saying that we, we set ourselves up for some absolutely ridiculous, optimistic thing that Joe Schran does, but I believe. For, so example with Nick Ricada is, so he obviously said that about Keppels years ago when I exposed a pedophile in the fan base of a rival podcaster, heinous child porn trading. And he invited him on to stream. Couldn't have been more polite to him. Mm-hmm. It's almost like it's not about the kids. No. But it's who we are. And that's, that's why, you know, the way, the way we respond to these haters is, I hope not to hate. But you that's know, just we, me. We had what talked about the- but I, Wait, I saw Moira's eyes. Moira's <laughs> eyes just like do that. I could see that. Go oh, ahead, now I, I just, you know, I, um, I was just thinking with, you know, the, the ban on the, um, the drag queens and um, trying to take away that art form. Um, and, you know, I, I know for you, Finley, that, you know, Finn is a huge fan of drag shows. And, you know, you've, you've said that it was really something that helped you through kind of his darkest times, uh, watching RuPaul's drag show. Right, because that that actually was something that was kind of joyous in terms of playing gender. It's a great show, love it. And going to totally shows in Boston yeah. and, and gaining queer community there. Um, it's it's a way to look at some of the hard part. The all the uh, trans people aren't the only people in the queer community who are confronted with challenges around gender, and being able to look at that and laugh and to enjoy it and take the thing that is supposed to scare you the most and, and gain joy out of it, I, I think is really beautiful. And I can see why I disagree would attack it because it is so powerful, that joy. And that's why I think a lot of mm-hmm. trans people now um, and trans activists have been talking a lot more about trans joy because we spend so much time talking about dysphoria and 
legal attacks and the challenges of, of being a young trans person, an older trans person. Um, but something that we really leave out of that is how beautiful our life experiences are. Like it, it's, it's hard to be in a body that doesn't feel right, but when your body and your presentation become something that you can be happy with, that is an unrivaled feeling that, that really it's, it's not the, the euphoria side of dysphoria. Um, so talking about trans joy is something I'm really passionate about because I want to make sure that other people get to see us that way, get to see our community as the vibrant people who are willing to do so much to just be ourselves and be happy. And I think that that's really inspiring to other people because you don't have to be trans to be like, I, I don't like to wear bright shirts because I don't want people to look at me, but I love those shirts we show people that you don't lose everything if you give up whatever you need to give up to be a happy, fulfilled person who follows follows your bliss, who follows who you really want to be seen as. Adding on to that, Finn, um, I just want to say because like when there is so much hate in the world right now and there's all, all these lawmakers and constantly trying to pass new bills with all these anti-trans, you know, getting rid of our rights, one of the best things that we can do as a, as a community to fight back against that on a extremely personal level is they want to get rid of us. They want us to die. They want us gone. They want us miserable. One of the best things that we can do to fight that is just to be happy in the face of them trying to get rid of us. If we can just enjoy our lives and experience happiness when that is the last thing they want us to experience that is a win, you know, mm -hmm. absolutely. Radical, yeah. Adding on to that, um, you remind me of an article in the Globe I read a few months back, maybe, and um, I think by Christopher Muther, the um, travel writer, and he, he did a deep dive on Florida, especially the LGBTQ community in Florida facing all of these um, issues and saying, how are you still there? How can, how can you live there? How come you haven't left? And their response is because then they win. And why, why do they get to have all the beaches? You know, why? So, you know, why should we leave that? That's just giving them what they want. Um, and, and the advice was research before you go, go there, support local LGBTQ um, communities, stores, restaurants, you know, tour guides, really go on mass, go to Florida, go to these places and live and be happy. I mean, you don't have to live there unless you visit, but. Um, it's gonna be our next wave happy. of free riders. <laughs> right, 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 exactly. Just if they, if we leave, they win. And they yeah. can't stand the happiness is. No, you're right, yeah. So let me be mad is my advice. Uh, <laughs> okay. All right, Tom, you, 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 can, you can hold that. I am a rage. <laughs> that's, that's why you're here, Tom. As I said, as I said earlier, uh, not, not here, but you can take the autist out of the blood sports. You can't take the blood sports out of the autist. So, oh, so Max, I, I too was on the spectrum. And so also with the under 18 thing is I think like, what if we did nothing about my diagnosis until I turned 18? What if we treated it like a vice, like smoking? Mm -hmm. Like, what if you treated mm -hmm. depression and anxiety? It's like, oh, let's wait until you're 18. 
just to make sure you're really yeah. sure you're suicidal because you know it might just be a phase and you'll outgrow it and in fact in fact we we did live that way we lived that way you know until maybe you guys didn't get me um diagnosed until like the fifth grade and you had to like fight tooth and nail with the school didn't you well a little bit yeah but they but they came around but i mean the point is it was it's only been in the last maybe 30 40 years that we finally acknowledged you know mental health issues emotional health issues and we don't just send people to an institution and forget they ever existed you know and it, that's very much what it feels like half the country is trying to get back to. And it's, I just don't get it. I don't get it. You know, it is dehumanizing um, in terms of the treatment. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But you see, for, for me, that that is actually a glimmer of hope. The only way we can really hurt each other is to dehumanize. What does that mean? That means that human beings want to protect each other. And the only way we can hurt each other is to say, you're not human. You're not in my group. This is, this is unfortunately what we've done for millennia. We have a, a brain that is still very primitive and looks at one group as the in-group and another as the out-group. And the out-group poses a threat to all the resources that the in-group wants. That's a limbic. That's an ancient, emotional, irrational part of the brain. But we have developed and evolved a prefrontal cortex, part of the brain right behind your forehead. This is the thinking part of the brain that can anticipate the future, solve problems, anticipate what will happen next. And what I'm really hoping is that enough people will begin to anticipate what will happen next if we keep doing what we're doing now. We'll destroy ourselves. That's not what anybody really wants. We, I, I'm serious when I say we all want the same thing, which is just to feel valued by someone. And if we can help each other recognize that, that I can, I can disagree with you, doesn't mean I don't value you. Those are two different things. You know, it's all about respect. That's what the I am approach is all about. Who are you? Why do you do what you do? What's the influence of the domains? You know, it's not about judging. You know, think about the words, you know, to look again at someone, look again, again, look, again, to repeat something, look like a spectator. That's respect. Why people do what they do without judging them. You know, that's, really, that's really where I hope we can be. And I, I have faith, I really do. And I, part of it is because of people like you who are willing to come and share your stories. Uh, and for the, all the guests that we've had on the Dr. Joe show, I mean, remarkable people. And I'm you know, incredibly honored to have people here so we can, Learn from each other. Who are you and why do you do what you do? Without that judgment, you know, that's really what it's about. Respect leads to value and value leads to trust. And with that trust, you can be who you are without worrying that when you share your secret, you will be judged as less than. That's not what trust is about.
And I think that's what you guys exemplify, you know, Max and Finn, when you told your parents what was going on, couldn't do that without trust. Yeah, that's who we are as humans. This is one of the problems with, with when you let a psychiatrist talk. That's good. I, I, you know, I, I agree. <laughs> I, took, I took some notes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So for our listeners, there's, there's so much that we could do here. But from the I am approach, because the four domains interact, the home domain, the social domain, the biological and the IC, how I see myself, how I think other people see me, which is a major part of what we're talking about tonight. Small changes can have big effects. We don't need to change everything. So I'm gonna ask Mara and Finley first, what small change can you recommend to our listeners given what we're talking about tonight? Mara, you just take it over. Um, I would highly recommend that they educate themselves um, on these issues. I, I think it's, it is easy when you, um, or convenient when you don't have a person within your family that is transgender um, to not be an ally or an advocate. Um, there are only so many hours in the day and I, I understand that. Um, but I think that there is so much going on in this country right now that we all need to be aware of. Um, because yes, in Massachusetts, um, I think Massachusetts is in a much better place than, uh, other states. However, uh, it's right in our backyard. And, and I think that, um, there are still groups within Massachusetts, um, that are, you know, promoting, um, anti-trans rhetoric and, and legislation, um, there are wonderful resources out there. Um, as I mentioned, there's the Mass Trans Political Coalition. Um, there is also um, on Instagram, just following certain folks that are in the transgender community that are so well-informed. There's Chase Strangio, um, and we can list these if people are interested, they can certainly reach out. Uh, it's a lot of small changes. So people can go to these places yes, go to these and places. they can make that education. Finn, what about you? What, what small change would you recommend to our listeners? Um, in their homes, in their lives, simply, I would say that it isn't just trans people who can take gender, who can explore gender and not live it as this incredibly stigmatized binary. If you show other people in your life that you don't take it as a an like a life or death situation the binary of gender that you have been assigned i think that shows people around you that they can be safe to talk to you about those issues and also call lawmakers call all your lawmakers call all your lawmakers call everybody's lawmakers it can't hurt it they're so they people like chase frangio list all those numbers yeah that's great big small change Patricia, small change is going to have big effects. What small change do you recommend to our listeners? Compassion. Just have compassion for the people around you and what they might be going through. It's not about you. It's about them. Just take three seconds to just breathe, think about it for a minute, and have compassion. Max, small changes. I would say 
like you mentioned earlier that language is an incredibly powerful thing. Like when people refer to me by my preferred name and pronouns, I like get a little giddy happy feeling every time. Um, and so I would say, think about what gendered language you're using in your everyday life. Like if you're like at school or like at work, a lot of times you'll see like he slash she, just say they. It can be a lot easier and removing gendered language from your everyday life, just little things like that, sir, ma'am, miss, mister, just removing things like that. If you don't know how a certain person wants to be referred to, taking away that gendered language can show people, even if it doesn't look like they need it, they might. It can make so many people feel so much safer. Mm -hmm. And we've got about 30 seconds for each of you. Thank you, Max. You control no one, you influence everyone. Everyone is interested in what you think or feel about them, and we all want the same thing, which is just to feel valued. Patricia, we'll start with you, then go to Max. You control no one, you influence everyone. Patricia, what kind of influence do you want to be? Um, I try to lead by example. I try to have my actions be reflective of my thoughts, feelings, my beliefs, and I try to put that out there as much as I can. I'm gonna actually skip around. I'm gonna to go to Mara first. Small changes, you can you control no one, you influence everyone, 30 seconds. What kind of influence do you wanna be? Uh, viewing others as humans, not in a gendered way. I think the influence is, as, as Patricia said, agreed. Lead by example and lead with humanity lead with humanity, view others as human beings, and everyone is on a journey to find their authentic self. This is no different. Finn? The influence I wanna be, I I wanna show young people that trans lives are happy lives, they're fulfilling lives, they are surrounded by love, um, and that no one can stop you from being yourself. And that if you feel like you won't be happy that way, you should try. Max, we're going to end it with you. You control no one, you influence everyone. Max, what kind of influence do you want to be? I, I, so I teach a lot of young kids and I spend a lot of time around very young influential people. And I always say and think that I just, I want to show them that it's okay to be weird, that I can, I can dye my hair and I can wear spikes on my clothing and I can listen to weird music that not everyone listens to and that's okay and that i'm happy and that i'm not embarrassed and that it's okay if they want to be weird even if they've never seen someone like me they're not alone and it's okay folks thank you so much for this very important conversation tom i'll be seeing you next week thanks larry thanks everybody we'll see you next week on the dr joe show